Hello everyone, and thank you so much for joining us in the road to a more genuine Judaism. In this, as in all the episodes, the hope is to see the way Jewish traditions evolved throughout history, as far back as we know of, and to hopefully find ways to connect to them on a deeper level. We will view the way these traditions were cherished and observed by prophets, sages, and philosophers, and try to tie in advice for the modern Jew. For more information on any and all the podcast episodes, please visit the website at genuinejudaism.org. Over there you can find the episode summary, transcript, and more information on the topics discussed. Thanks for pressing play, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the second episode of the Genuine Judaism Podcast. This episode is going to be about the history of Shabbos specifically. Um, it's going to be very short, around 15 minutes, uh, because there's a lot to cover. But I just want to give a general overview of what it was like throughout history. I'm going to break these episodes down into four categories, uh, four eras of history rather. Um, the first era is going to be the pre-Revelation era. Revelation is in the Jewish tradition in the Jewish year 2448. In the secular calendar, it is 1312 before Common Era. The first era is before Revelation, before 1312 BCE. The second era will be Revelation until the establishment of the first monarchy in Israel with King Saul in around the 11th century BCE or the 10th century BCE, depending on which historian or which interpretation you like to go by. And the third era will be from the first monarchy in Israel until the destruction of the second temple. And the second temple era until the until common era will be the fourth era of history. I know these are very broad categories and there have been many things that happened throughout the, throughout these times. Uh, I know that's, that's how it is, uh, but I feel at, at these times the uh, the the way the traditions evolved during these times uh, they, they were only radically shifted between these eras and not within the eras. So they were very there was a lot of revol- revolutions done in in the tradition of Shabbos after the first monarchy because that's when the temple was really established and when Israel made a name for itself. There was a vast change in Shabbos after the revelation because that's when we got familiar with with the subject of Shabbos. Um, there was a vast change in the uh, in the observance of Shabbos after the Second Temple era's destruction, even during the Second Temple, really. But I'm just going to group it in with the Second Temple's destruction. You'll see why. And that's really when the revolutions in the traditions happened. Um, there was very common traditions otherwise. Okay, so the word Shabbos itself means to cease, or to stop, or to rest, or um, even to return. You know, there are multiple translations of this word. It's not a set definition. Um, It can mean different things uh, in regard to different contexts. There is not one know-all definition. However, people do translate it as rest. So let's let's look at the let's let's look at Shabbos throughout history because it's actually quite fascinating. Um, before the revelation, uh, you might be thinking, okay, Shabbos before the revelation, who cares? You know, there was 
there was no Shabbos before the revelation. The, there was no Sabbath under this idea of, this, of a rest day. Um, and this is where history and Jewish tradition kind of intersect, argue with each other. But uh, I'm just going to give you both. Secular tradition states that there actually was an idea of a rest day, as you can see in the Mesopotamian creation myth, which is known by its later variant called the Enuma Elish. It's believed to be a Mesopotamian creation myth, however, and it clearly mentions the day of rest. But interestingly enough, that's not where the link to Shabbos actually is in the Enuma Elish. There is a similar word to the Shabbos in the Enuma Elish, pre-Revelation era again. So the Mesopotamian word for Shabbos was Sapatu. The closest thing we see to it is Sapatu. Sapatu also means to stop. It means uh, it, it's, one of the, it's one of the definitions of Shabbos. It means to stop. And the way it's worded in the new Enuma Elish is actually quite eye-opening into how revolu- just how revolutionary Shabbos as an idea was. In the Enuma Elish, in this Mesopotamian creation myth, the Shabbos was re- the Sapatu was referred to not, not as a day of the week, but rather as two days of the month. Uh, specifically the lunar month, in which in the middle of the month, the, would, the, the moon would stop changing its form. And in the Enuma Elish creation myth, it's written as such, stand in opposition to this day, which it, it kind of, it's kind of viewed as a bad omen in the creation myth. It was viewed as something to be scared of in the middle of the month. Really, by us, the middle of the month and Shabbos are very closely connected. Rosh Chodesh and Shabbat, as we know them, or as Shabbos as we know them, are very closely connected throughout Tanakh. They're they're mentioned together many times, probably during the Revelation era until the Second Temple era. It was very, very closely intertwined. Um, Nowadays we have, and nowadays we have some kind of correlation between the two, but not really uh, as much as it used to be for sure. Not not as much as it used to be for sure. But this is the pre-revelation era. Shabbos was a bad omen. Sapatu, the way that the, Jew, the Israelites at the time knew the word, they knew that they knew that Shabbos was a derivative. They they sensed its they sensed its likeness. Let's put it that way. Uh, and Shabbos was a bad omen pre-revelation. Now that's secular his, secular history. Uh, what about tradition? Jewish tradition states some you could be a Jew that uh, believes in this tradition. You could be a Jew that doesn't. Strictly speaking, it's not a core belief. Uh, the idea is that. Shabbos was always known to everyone, including the first man, Adam. Uh, and it was known to Abraham. It was known to Isaac, Jacob. And it was known, but it was codified or it was put down to text during the revelation. That is a tradition in Judaism. That's one, uh, that is something that uh, certain sections of Jews hold to be true. Um, I'm not commenting on whether or not it is. That's just something to know. Some sections of Jews hold that there was no Shabbos before Revelation. The Revelation was a completely new thing built off of existing ideas in the world or a completely new thing in general. There's there's different interpretations, but regardless, Shabbos before Revelation, historically speaking, bad omen. No uh, no blessed and sanctified day as we know it or as it's mentioned in uh, the begin in Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 or in Exodus chapter 20 when 10 commandments are listed. Um, I believe those are the chapters. If I'm wrong, please correct me. But essentially, the belief before Revelation was it's a bad omen. Okay, moving on. So the Revelation era, if we look at Shabbos as a bad omen, in the Revelation era, it's quite 
it's quite revealing. It's quite, it's quite amazing that something with such a bad reputation, the Shabbos, something with such a scary, scary mindset, would be converted by God into something sacred and sanctified. But that's what it was. During the Revelation era, you see in the beginning when the Jews, when the Israelites are still in the desert, the people knew the law as it's written down in the Torah. Uh, there are instances where, uh, ma- uh, where the Israelites are directly commanded how to act in regard to the Shabbos day. Uh, there was the gathering of the manna or the mun, uh, which uh, certain people failed the test of. There was also the gathering of the wood, which one man did and was uh, stoned for. So the people knew the law in the, in terms of Shabbos, uh, and they were, and they uh, how they exactly acclimated to it uh, psychologically or soci- sociologically, it's unclear. But it does seem to be that there was an idea of breaking the law leads to consequences in a societal and political sense that you would face retribution for it. That seems to be the beginning stages of the law being incorporated, that the Sabbath was not to be trifled with in terms of law. Okay, fine. So now, once the Israelites enter Israel, it's uh, enter Canaan as it was known at the time, or Canaan, um, there's really not much mention of their observance because the focus in the text is the establishment of Israel and the taking over of the, of the inhabitants there at the time in order to instill a more moral the land, as you see, when uh, when the Israelites enter into Israel, the first commodity of Israel is a. Um, I, I don't know how to put this in a in a PG setting, but the first commodity is essentially a a house of harlotry. I, I don't know how else to say that. And you see that that's just that was an attraction. You know, the, um, there are commentaries that say that the har- uh, that the harlots at the entrance of the state of uh, the country of Canaan at the time, of the land of Canaan at the time, uh, were very famous throughout the entire world, and leaders from all over the world came to be with them. And you know, it, it's that's how it was. It was an immoral land at the time, and the the narrative of the text until the first monarchy is essentially establishing a moral land. But the religious observance, or rather the, the traditional observance of Judaism itself, is not so scrutinized during this time period of the revelation after they enter into Israel until the first monarchy. Now, in the first monarchy is where it gets interesting. Um, the era of prophecy kind of begins with King David, really. There, there were prophets before King David during the times of King Saul, and there were prophets before King Saul, and there were prophets throughout. But the era of prophecy, the, pro- the prophetic books that we have today, they all began around the era of King David or, and a little bit onward um, until, the end of the, until the middle of the second era. Let's put it that way. That's, that's really where prophecy was. And over here, you see religious observance, especially Shabbos, actually, especially the Sabbath being scrutinized. It, it goes so far as to say that Jeremiah and Ezekiel both blamed the, um, the destruction of the first temple I forgot exactly when, I think it was the 4th century BCE, no, the 6th century BCE that the first temple was destroyed. But they attribute that that destruction to the Israelites not taking the Shabbos seriously. Now, this wasn't to say that they broke the law, because that's not exactly what you see. You see some instances of law breaking, but that's not what the prophets focus on. The prophets focus on breaking the spirit of the law. In fact, the prophet Amos, or Amos as we might know him, he actually criticizes people for 
longing for the ending of uh, for the ending of Shabbos and such festivals, so that they can go back to selling their grain. Now that's very very interesting because these types of things were the catalyst to cause the destruction of the first temple. They might have kept the Sabbath strictly speaking by law. And you see that most commoners did. This was, uh, by the prophets, you see most commoners did. But they weren't imbuing it with the spirit of the Sabbath. They were rather using it as a day rather than appreciation of God, the way that King David talks about it in Psalm 92. Um, They used it as a day of connecting to idols to get what they want materially. Um, as you can see, their their rebuke in uh, in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel, uh, you know, states this rebuke as well. And we say something each week that talks about the spirit of Sabbath, which is that if you uh, neglect from doing work on the Sabbath day and you focus on the desire uh, on on let's put it this way, God um, on God's divine desires, which we got into more in the previous episode. Me and David, but essentially, those uh, if you fo- if you stop focusing on your desires and focus on holy on spiritual matters, um, you'll rejoice in God. That's something we say each week. Um, I will invoke the Hebrew here just for familiarity with what I'm speaking about. We say, "In tashiv mishabat raglecha, asot chafatzecha beyom katshiv karata leshabat oneg, bigdosh Hashem mechubad vechibato." So that's all from Isaiah. This is. That was just the original Hebrew of the of what I just said of refraining from weekday activities and focusing on God's divine desires. Um, you'll find rejoice in God. The idea was is essentially that until the Second Temple era, um, until the destruction of the Second Temple era, the laws might have been observed, but the spirit was was weak. Was weak, and only few people really embodied the spirit. King David, the prophets, Nehemiah, who rebuilt the Second Temple. And he who, uh, who, you know, instigated the law of Shabbos that it should be kept. He was very passionate about it. So we actually see the communal observance of Shabbos quite well and the uh, communal uh, regard to Shabbos quite well throughout the first three eras. We see it quite well before Revelation. Um, the Mesopotamian myth, which was probably very well known in terms of, uh, in terms of, its text, uh, at least it was vaguely known in most likely in most places that the Sabbath was something to be, uh, to fear or, you know, or to be, you know, it was a scary day, bad omen. That was a communal thought. And then the revelation turned that around and made the Sabbath the most blessed and sanctified day, which was probably very difficult to process and took time to get used to. They were probably still scared of certain uh, you know, certain consequences on the Sabbath day, like we are, like we, certain groups of Jews might be now, uh, because that's how they're taught about the Sabbath, is that it's a day of refraining from certain activity or you'll get punished for it. But we see that that's a beginning stage of thought. Once the Israeli monarchy is established and Israel is a player in world events and they have the luxury of, of religious observance and scrutinization of religious observance, that's when you see that the spirit is what becomes important. And in fact, it's the destruction of the spirit that leads to the destruction of the first temple. And it's specifically the spirit of Shabbos. This is quoted by prophets, you know, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, highly regarded Jewish prophets or Israelite prophets, whatever you want to call them. Now comes the second temple era. This is where, uh, well, this, it's still in the third era of the, 
of the first monarchy till the second temple. Um, so, the, so the restoration of the temple or the second temple led by Nehemiah and all that led to a very large scrutinization and Shabbos observance. Nehemiah made sure, to, made sure of that. There were times when the aristocrats in Israel and in Judah specifically didn't, want, didn't stop doing business on Shabbos and Nehemiah therefore decreed that all the gates will be closed down so that no business can be done on Shabbos and anybody found to be waiting outside to start business will be punished somehow. I do not remember how. And you see that it's really scrutinized. And within the middle of the, and within this time period of the second temple, if you look in the apocryphal texts, uh, the texts which are non-canonical or non-original according to uh, traditional Jewish sources, or it's unclear as to their origin, uh, such as the book of Maccabees and the book of Judith, uh, Yehudit and the book of Tobit and uh, you'll see all, like all these books they they paint some sort of picture of the time um, there's a book called the Yehudit what's what's interesting there is that you see Yehudit this this woman she's a very wealthy woman but as part of and she's a righteous woman as part of her righteousness the the book of Yehudit depicts that she was wealthy or she was at least not a not a regular commoner you know she wasn't a poor person for sure but on the days of the week she would dress as a poor person and she would not sleep in her house. She would sleep in a tent um, and she would be fasting throughout the day, just drinking, you know, or maybe eating a little bit at night. I don't know exactly what the, what, what uh, apocry- apocryphal texts mean when they talk about fasting during the day, but she only dressed in nice clothing and she only slept in her house and she only ate good food during the Sabbath and festivals. And that's one observation of how the Sabbath was probably observed at the time by people who felt its spirit. They kind of made it a special day. And so you see the Maccabees actually, in the book of Maccabees, you see that the, uh, during the time of, the, uh, of that war, in the, during the Second Temple era, you see that the Maccabees decide to def- only defend on Shabbos and not to attack on Shabbos, uh, to defend themselves from attack. And upon successful defenses, they, they would pray to God and it would be a day of appreciation for them. That's how it was in the second, uh, uh, during the end of the third era of the first monarchy until the second temple of uh, Temple's destruction. The Sabbath was essentially, it was imbued with more spirituality, but it was sporadic and it was few and far apart. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like the community knew, knew the spirit unless they were next to great individuals. And actually a, a 13th century or 14th century philosopher by the name of Gersonides we know him as Ralbag. He actually says that there was a tradition. He comments that it used to be that in the times of the first monarchy, the second temple's destruction, people would go to great sages on the Sabbath day. But again, the communal observance by far and large was not so spiritual. There wasn't enough being done about the spirit of Shabbos. So now comes the second temple era of destruction. You see that this is where the codified law, the Talmud takes place. Um, essentially, it's a very complicated book but it's being, it, it was being codified and the bottom line law was being written down by the, um, by the original, by the people after the temple, the Geonim as we know them. And once the law was codified essentially for all the Jews in exile, this is where you see not communal involvement in Sabbath, but the, the, invol- the way to, different ways to think about Sabbath being brought in by different people. In the uh, in the beginning stages of the of the com- common era of uh, around the seventh century, let's uh, 
uh, let's call it, or the fourth century even, once the law has been codified, seventh century, once the law has been codified, the rabbis attempt to reinvigorate the spirit of the law because the law was just written as bottom line. And this was done by many, many, uh, many rabbis, uh, to name a few. We see a high gaon in the eighth century imbued a Sabbath with a spirit. The uh, uh, Rashi, who we know, the Levi, uh, 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 Shlomo Levi Ben Yitzchak, he, he viewed the Shabbos day as a creation in itself. The fact that there was a rest day as a creation in itself, which is a very interesting take. You have the Ibn Ezra, a 12th century North African biblical commentator who uh, says that greed destroys the worship of Shabbos and that from greed and from bad character traits, people can come to work on the Shabbos to get monetary gain and they'll put their own uh, ideology over the importance of Shabbos. And that's this, that's this common era revolution where people start mo- focusing more and attributing more character traits to Shabbos and becoming more individually connected. Maimonides says that on Shabbos, you should reflect on the creation of the world based on the scientific evidence based at the time. And also on the fact that it's a freedom from slavery. The uh, Hezekiah ben Manoah, the 13th century Jewish scholar, uh, says that we should be involved in God's agenda on the Shabbos rather than our own, so to speak. Nachmanides, a 13th century Jewish scholar, says that the Shabbos Shabbos day itself has reserves of holiness and that we have to benefit from those reserves. so these these uh, these things are very evident that there's individual services, individual ways to connect to the Sabbath for oneself. You know, rather than just having communal law, there's individual ways to establish it, and that's where we're at now, even in the 21st century, where it's about finding the individual path to to connect the Sabbath with. The Orachaim already in the 18th century, a Moroccan Jewish scholar, Chaim ben Moshe ibn Atar, he said that the Sabbath teaches people of the laws of the laws of permanence, the fact that it's the fact that the Shabbos teaches that you don't have to constantly be involved in work and some things are better saved for later and, or, or faith is better to have in some places. This is how the Sabbath is from pre-revelation until now. It started as just being law. Then it went to the communal understanding of it, the spirituality of it. Then it went to, then it went to being that this uh, that the spirit was kind of dying down, and there were groups of people who were getting into the spirit of Shabbos rather than just individuals. And then after the destruction, there was more of a focus on individuality, and that's what and that's what was beautiful about it. 